2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, 14 through 17. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be abusers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Susan. <clears throat> and thank you all for joining us online this morning and in person here in our sanctuary. It is so great to have you with us. I uh, want to let you know that we will be celebrating communion uh, today, the Lord's Supper. So those of you here may have got one of the little package cups on the way in. If not, feel free to grab one before uh, we take communion in about 25 minutes. Uh, those of you at home, you may just want to be getting ready a piece of bread or some juice if you have that handy, and uh, we'll look forward to celebrating together uh, after the message today. I'd like to start today with um, something a little different. It's a bit of a, a quiz, and in just a moment you will see it on the screen. I want to tell you up front, though, there's no trick to it. This is no optical illusion. It will test our attentiveness, not actually as our IQ says, but in a moment on the screen you'll see a sentence in a box. Just, just want you to join me in reading it. Yes, we'll go ahead and read it now. Read it aloud with me if, you, if you'd like or, uh, or, or, or not. Finished files are the results of years of scientific study combined with the experience of years. Did you read that? Now, here's the test. Count aloud the F's that you see in the box. There's no trick to it. Count them once. Give you a second to do that. Finished files were the results of years of scientific study combined with the experience of years. Okay, you can take it off the screen. All right, now, whether you're here with us, is at home, I, I, I uh, can only tell those who are here with us by raising hands, but how many of you saw no occurrences of the letter F in that sentence? We're going to be a little worried about you if you say, say no. Nobody's here. Anybody see one? Only one. Anybody see two? Anybody see three? All right, vast majority. This is, this is what most people say. Anybody see four? Okay. Quite a few hands for four. Anybody see five? A few fives. Wow. Anybody see six? 
Okay, some saw six. Anybody see seven? We're going to worry about you if you say seven, too. Okay, put it back up. The answer is six. Though the vast majority of the people said three, the answer is six. The only person I, I, I talked to in our office that got it right the first time was Debbie Williams, who proofreads everything we do. And I said, you got it right the very first time. Most people say three. She said, well, I read it backwards. I read the letters backwards and counted the letter. I said, that's no fair. You can take it down now. Now you're wondering, what in the world does that have with our message today? Nothing whatsoever. I just didn't have a good introduction to the sermon this morning. <laughs> Actually, though, you know, the, we're going to talk about giving our attention to Scripture today. And the Apostle Peter said we should attend to the Scripture as to light shining in a dark place. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But before we begin, I'd like to just have a couple moments of prayer. Uh, prayer especially for our nation today. We've got an election coming up this week, a lot of division, uncertainty in our nation. Would you join me as we join our hearts together and pray for this nation in which we live? Father, we, we come before you today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for your peace in our country. We pray you would guide your people in voting in the elections. And we pray according to your words in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, where you tell us to pray for those in authority in order that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And we want to ask you, Father, for the gift of peace and order and godliness in our nation. We'd like to pray also today, Father, for those affected by uh, the coronavirus Pray your healing for those in our church who've been affected. Pray your protection for those especially who have vulnerabilities among us. We pray your shield of protection over all in our church who work in health care, who are first responders, those in law enforcement, be a shield around them. And Lord, I pray today for those who are watching our service or who are here with us, who feel isolated, lonely, or depressed. I pray that you would draw especially close to them with your presence to bring your healing encouragement, a renewal of joy, a strengthening of faith today. And as we look at your holy word, we pray the promise, the scripture found in Psalm 119 and verse 18 and ask that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, today in our one story series, we get to the short New Testament book of 2 Timothy. It is a beautiful book, one of my favorite books in the New Testament. One of the books I found God speaking to me through more than uh, uh, many other books in Scripture for some reason. It's written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison, and it is the last letter written by the Apostle Paul. We know that because in chapter 4 and verse 6 of the letter, he writes, The time of my departure has come. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He knows he's about to die. Paul knows he's near the end of his life. And as far as we know, this is the last letter he wrote. The last one we have in Scripture, at least. 
And he's writing it to Timothy, and he refers to Timothy in this letter as my beloved child. He wasn't literally his child, but he considered Timothy his, his son in the faith. Paul met Timothy when he was a very young man. He saw something in him. He wanted to nurture and cultivate that. He took him along on his missionary journeys. And now Timothy is the pastor, the overseer, a great church at Ephesus. And Paul's giving him guidance for leadership in the churches, appointing of elders and deacons. And he's giving us guidance as well for how his churches are to be ordered. As we get into the third chapter, the section Susan read just a moment ago, Paul is warning Timothy about life in the last days. And he mentions that life in the last days is going to be characterized by a, a, a number of things. Um, I'm going to present them in three different categories. Uh, the last days would be marked by self-love for one. As you see that he writes, in the last days there will be times of difficulty, or as some versions say, perilous times in the last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. The last days will be marked by self-love. Now, how do you know when the last days are? Scripture seems to indicate that the last days began with Jesus, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension to heaven, and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit on the early Christian church. That's when the Apostle Peter said, this is that prophesied by Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The last days have continued from the day of Pentecost until now and will continue until the day Jesus returns. So we can understand that we live in a much later part of the last days than Timothy and Paul lived in. The last days will be characterized by self-love, by self-indulgence, as we read in verses 3 and 4, people will be slanderous without self-control, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Characterize these last days in which we live. And then thirdly, self-deception. Paul writes to Timothy that evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Self-deception and deception of people in general will proceed from bad to worse. He writes later in chapter 4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, people would arise in the Christian church all over the place trying to tell people what they want to hear, adapting the message to people's own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into, into myths. Now, in light of this, Paul is going to now tell Timothy how to live and how to guide the church to live, how to guide us to live in this time known as the last days. The apostle Paul starts off by pointing Timothy to his own example. He says in chapter 3 and verse 10, You, however, you, that is Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Do you see what Paul's doing? Paul's saying in the last days where there's all this self-love, self-indulgence, self-deception, remember Timothy, 
remember my example. The Apostle Paul could say that. He could say, as he said elsewhere, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We all need examples. And Paul's told, pointing Timothy to his own example, but he points him to another example. In verse 14 of chapter 3, he says to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Who's he talking about? Knowing from who you, whom you learned these sacred writings from childhood. He didn't know Paul and his childhood. The influence on Timothy was his mom, the influences, his mom and his grandmother. At the beginning of the book of 2 Timothy, we read these words. Paul writes to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And the Apostle Paul, before he leaves his last letter, says, Remember my example, and remember from whom you learn the sacred writings. That would be his mom and his grandmother. Every one of us here who's a follower of Jesus needs someone to whom we can look as a model of, for faith, as an example. Those of you who are parents and have children, or those of us who are aunts or uncles or grandparents have an opportunity to model for young children, just like Timothy's mother and grandmother did, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we could not stress strongly enough the importance of children having a model like that. Maybe one day one of your kids will be asked when they're an adult, who was the most influential, formative Christian in your life? And perhaps the first thing they'll say is, my mom, my grandmother, my dad, my aunt, my uncle. We're called to learn from others, but we're also called to be examples. So Paul talks, uh, points Timothy in the midst of this uh, difficult time in the last days to remember the examples from whom he learned the scripture. But then he points him to something that is ever sure, unchanging, the solid foundation for all followers of Jesus, all believers at all times. And that's where I want us to focus this morning. Because in Paul's teaching to Timothy about how to live in the last days, he points him to scripture, and he gives us one of the clearest and most important statements in all the Bible about the origin of scripture, the origin of scripture. And you see it in verse 16. In the last days, in these difficult times, that's the context of this passage, chapter three, Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The origin of Scripture is God Himself. Scripture begins with God. Doesn't it make sense that if God exists, if there is a God who created all things, and He created us in His image, 
for fellowship with himself. Doesn't it make sense that he would want to communicate with us? And he does, and he has. God has chosen to communicate by words. In the very beginning, having created Adam, he spoke. He gave commands. He spoke to Noah about building the ark. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to the prophets. He spoke to the writers of our scripture. Kathy Keller writes these words that you'll see on the screen that I think are particularly important. She writes, if you can accept the existence of a being powerful enough to be called God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, why is it so difficult to believe that he would be capable of communicating authentically and clearly to his creatures? And if God can hold the universe in place, has he not been able to oversee the preservation of Scripture through the years so that his people have an accurate record of his word to them and for them so that he'd be able to communicate authentically and clearly to his hearers? The Apostle Paul says all Scripture has been inspired by God, breathed out by God. The Apostle Peter would write something very similar in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. The setting of this particular segment of Scripture is this. Peter has been recounting an incredible experience that he, along with the apostles James and John, had. It occurs on what's become known as the Mount of Transfiguration. And the, the, the record of this is found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17. Jesus went up on the mountain and he was transfigured. He was in glory. This blinding, beautiful, bright glory. And Moses and Elijah appear there with him. And, and Peter and James and John get to be eyewitnesses of this. And so in writing 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is talking about the fact we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he received honor and glory from God the Father and the, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Wow. We were eyewitnesses to this extraordinary thing. But notice what he then says in the words that you see on the screen before you. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You mean more fully confirmed than his own eyewitness example than having been there in person? Is Peter saying there's something even more sure, more certain, more fully confirmed than that incredible vision? Something more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, now he's talking about Scripture, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along, <clears throat> they were borne along just as a sailboat is carried along by the wind. 
to write the words that were the very words of God. And this scripture is a more sure word, a more fully confirmed word than even the great vision that Peter and James and John had of Jesus in glory. He's pointing us to the fact, as did the Apostle Paul, that all scripture is inspired by God. Now, why is Paul pointing Timothy to this great truth, great reality, when and where in Scripture he is, because he's talking about the last days and the prevalence of self-love, self-indulgence, and self-deception. And he's saying there is a foundation on which you can build your life that's more fully confirmed that will guide you and will teach you and keep you safe. The Apostle Paul we read about in the book of Acts when he went to Ephesus and preached and the church began. And and later we read about him going back and having his parting words to the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And before he leaves them and sees them for the very last time, he says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Similarly, saying to Timothy, I commend you to God. Remember my example. But especially remember that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. It's the more sure word of prophecy. It's the foundation on which to build the church, on which to build your life. It will keep you safe in the last days. He goes on then, in speaking of the origin of Scripture, to, to lay out the purpose of Scripture, or purposes rather. There are four that he gives here. And very briefly, they are, number one, teaching that makes us wise for salvation. He says again to Timothy, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. This teaching that makes us wise for salvation, I think Paul has in mind primarily the Old Testament. I mean, that's all Timothy had when he was a young child learning the sacred writings. It's what Paul had in written form when he began his ministry. And it's a reminder to us that the Old Testament prepares us for the New Testament. The law prepares us for the gospel. The Old Testament shadows are fulfilled in the New Testament substance, Jesus Christ. The second purpose of Scripture he gives is reproof. The idea of reproof, the word translated reproof here, carries the idea of of rebuking, exposing that which is wrong in God's eyes. Peter said that Scripture was like a lamp shining in a dark place, and one of the purposes of light is to reveal things hidden in darkness. This makes the genuine seeking of God's will for our lives in Scripture, it makes Bible study sometimes a bit uncomfortable. Because sometimes when you're studying the Bible, reading God's Word, you are confronted with something in your life that God wants to change that you don't want to change. I've had this experience a number of times. I bet some of you have. Scripture often will challenge our viewpoints, 
our behavior, our attitudes, things that we'd rather not change. But it's all part of honoring the Word of God as God's authoritative and, and inspired truth that we allow it to search us and we allow it to reprove us, to rebuke us, to change us. The third purpose he gives is related to this. He uses the word correction, but this word translated correction has a slightly different emphasis and carries the idea of improvement to guide us into that which is right in God's eyes. Now, as light illumines what's in darkness, it also illumines our path. It shows us the way forward. Elsewhere, Scripture is described as being a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so Scripture shows us the way in life, guides us in the way we should go, helps us make key and major decisions in life. The Lord is our shepherd, and he will lead us throughout life, and largely he leads us by using his word and scripture. And then number four, the purpose of scripture, training in righteousness to make us capable, competent, and equipped for every good work. That is, everything God calls us to do in life, God uses his word to, to make us competent for that, to make us capable of doing that, to equip us, to ready us for that. The apostle Paul was about to leave. Is about to leave this earth. In chapter 4, he writes, The time of my departure is at hand. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And he's commending Timothy to that which he knows will equip him for his important role, just as it will equip you and me for our roles in God's kingdom, to do the good works that he has called us to do. Scripture to teach, to reprove, to correct, and to train and equip us. Now, as people who live in the year 2020, a much later part of the last days, I want to just raise three questions today by way of personal application. The first is this. Have I recognized and received Scripture as God's inspired and authoritative word? Now, if you're new to our church and you're new to studying the Bible, I don't expect you to, to believe that the Bible, Scripture, is God's Word just because I say it's God's Word. Um, the Christian faith never calls us to leave our reason, our intelligence behind. I think there are many, many good reasons for a person who will investigate the issue to believe that Scripture is inspired by God. The fact of its many fulfilled prophecies, the fact of its incredible unity having been written over a period of about 1,400 years, the fact that countless Bible writers said and believed that their words, the words they were writing, really were the words of God, and in particular Jesus, who built his life on Scripture and called it the Word of God. But the question I'd like to, to raise for those of us who say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, is have I recognized and received Scripture's God, God's inspired and authoritative word? I think the most important decision that a person can make in life, any person, is the decision to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
to recognize that he died on the cross to pay the debt for our sins, was raised from the dead, and in his great atoning work, he provided for our salvation so that through faith we humble ourselves, repent of our sins, and receive his salvation. That's the most important decision a human being can make. It's the one that has eternal implications for us. But once you have received the gospel, you're a follower of Jesus, I think the second most important decision you can make in life is what's going to be my attitude towards God's, God's word? Am I going to treat his word as his inspired and authoritative word for my life? Am I going to stand, am I going to live under the word of God? Or am I going to be one of those who picks and chooses from the Bible? And if the Bible disagrees with my desires or my life, I'm going to go with my life. Paul is calling us to be people who recognize the authority and the purpose of Scripture and to stand under its authority. Have I recognized and received Scripture as God's inspired and authoritative word despite the challenges that that will bring to life? Number two, is there any way in which I'm at odds with God's word by my choices? Does God regularly convict you of something when you open the Bible to read or maybe when you hear a sermon from time to time? Is there something that you know you're clinging to that God is saying let go of? Is there something he's calling you to do by faith, a step of faith to take? And then number three, how can I better build my life on the foundation of God's word? The attitude, I think, that is appropriate for approaching, approaching Scripture is humility. The Apostle James writes, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. It's the attitude of trust, of faith, that this is the word of God. And yes, I'll build my life on this word and I'll stand under its authority. When you choose when you decide to base your life on scripture as God's authoritative and inspired word, you are following the example of Jesus. Jesus did this. Jesus called scripture in John chapter 10 and verse 35, the word of God, and said in the same verse, the scripture cannot be broken. As you read through the Gospels, you will you'll see very clearly Jesus' relationship with Scripture. And remember, what he had was just what we know as the Old Testament. You'll see Jesus, when he's tempted by Satan, merely quoting Scripture to settle a matter. You'll see Jesus throughout in conversation with Pharisees and Sadducees, and to settle an issue with them, he'll say, Have you not read? Authoritative scripture settles the matter. You'll see him telling his disciples that he must suffer and die to fulfill the scripture. In Matthew 26, you'll see him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying about what he's to face. He knows what he's going to face on the cross. 
you'll see him getting up for prayer, from prayer, and as he gets up from prayer, Judas and a band of soldiers arrive, along with the servant of the high priest. And one of Jesus' disciples pulls out his sword, and he strikes at the servant of the high priest, and he cuts off his ear. Jesus tells him to put away the sword. He heals the servant's ear. And he reminds his disciple that he must be taken. He must be taken to the cross. And he says, quote, But how then should the scripture be fulfilled? That it must be so. If you choose to live your life under the authority of scripture, recognizing it as God's authoritative and inspired word. And you not only recognize it, but you receive it as the guide for your life and attend to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You're following the example of Jesus himself. His suffering and his crucifixion were in fulfillment of the prophecies of Scripture. Now today... We remember his suffering for us. We remember his fulfillment of scripture when he went to the cross and shed his blood there. And we remember it by celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper. This would be a good time uh, if you're with us and you haven't gotten one of the communion packets that you get one from a table in the back or if you're at home that you grab a little bread or, or juice. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, Uh, You'll see on the screen words written by the Apostle Paul. He writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what we're doing today. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, if you choose to take the bread and the juice today, you're making a visible proclamation that Jesus died on the cross for me and I have received the benefits of his body and his blood given there in sacrifice for the atonement for my sins. The Apostle Paul then adds a warning when he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy uh, manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I think he's pointing us to primarily Uh, an understanding that we must truly have received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. We don't take communion as some mere religious ritual because we happen to be in a church service. But we have a personal relationship with the one who died on the cross for us. And if you have not made that decision today and right now, would be a wonderful time to do that as we go to a moment of prayer in self-examination. Would you join me as we pray now? Father, I want to first pray for anyone watching our service or with us here in our sanctuary who has never truly placed his or her faith in you as Savior and as Lord. Would you today, 
draw that person to say, Lord, I believe. Jesus Christ died to pay for my sins and was raised from the dead to give me eternal life. And now I'll take a moment of silence for, the, uh, for us to allow the Lord to search our hearts individually as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And now, for those of you watching at home, those of you with us, we'll take the bread and, and we'll all partake together today. I'll give you a moment to get it. And now, the body of Christ given for you. give you a moment to open the packets for the juice. And now together, the blood of Christ shed for you. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we partake of this holy thing we call the Lord's Supper. Would you make your presence known to your people, for those watching at home, for those here in our sanctuary? Would you let us have a greater awareness of your presence? Would you bring healing where it is needed? Healing of body, healing of soul, encouragement, restoration. The recognition that you who hold the universe in place by the word of your power know the very number of hairs on our heads. You know our thoughts before we have them. You're acquainted with all our ways. You know the issues we face. And you do care. Draw your people near today. Rekindle, renew, strengthen our faith so that we can face life in these last days with confidence in you, confidence in your word, the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, as we sing, the words with which you told Moses to bless your people that you might place your name upon your people. We remember that Jesus said, I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. Bless your people with your grace and with your peace this day, our Lord and our God.